You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea, where we talk with some of the biggest security influencers about what is shaping the cyber landscape and what is top of mind for the C-suite and other key security decision makers. I'm Ann Johnson. And today we are going to discuss the next cyber frontier, including trends, technologies, and paradigm shifts that will help ensure a more safe and secure future. I am thrilled and lucky to be joined today by Samir Kapuria, who is the Managing Director at Crosspoint Capital Partners and a strategic leader investing in industry-changing innovation. Samir has over 25 years of experience leading enterprise software, consumer software, and managed service businesses in cybersecurity. He was previously the president of Norton LifeLock, a global leader in consumer cyber safety, and under his leadership, he helped scale the company to annual revenues exceeding $2.4 billion. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea, Samir. Thanks, Anne. It's great to be here. So, Samir, before we start talking about trends and the challenges and opportunities, can you tell the audience a little bit more about you? You have dedicated most of your career to cybersecurity. So, how did you get your start? Why did you stay in the industry? And what brought you to your current role at Crosspoint? What a great question. You know, my start in cyber actually coincided with the internet coming to life in the 90s. You know, I had the privilege of being at the right place at the right time with the right friends who were working at an organization called BBN, a place where it was most famous for its DARPA-sponsored research. Some of the, the tech historians out there may recall that BBN was focused on creating some of the earliest internet incarnations like ARPANET, as well as developing things like TCP and the IPsec standards. But in a nutshell, it, it was a place where technical wizards sort of roamed the hallways, and I was a sponge to learn from all of them. But the key from that experience was thinking about how things could break and then thinking about how you'd fix them. And that thesis led me into a a company with cyber pioneers that was called At Stake, where we were focused just on that same thesis. How do we break security and then how can we fix it? And if you fast forward time, what's kept me in this space, I'd say um, it's, it's three things. And the first is it's a fulfilling mission. It's one of the only spaces where you have a mission to protect people, companies, and organizations and being part of something greater than yourself. I think that the second big thing that's kept me uh, thriving in this space is the, the need for continuous innovation. You know, this, this industry, as you know, has a mantra of constantly creating new. Why? Because you have an active adversary changing the game on a daily basis. So it forces one to expect the unexpected and, and innovate new defenses and safety on a constant pace. The last thing that, that's probably kept me uh, in this industry uh, and kept a smile on my face for so long is the community. When you have a problem that affects so many lives and organizations around the world, it has this gravitational pull, bringing people from all walks of life together. And that community is something that, that I really relish. And so now, now here I am. We formed a, a firm called uh, Crosspoint Capital not too long ago, and we've evolved from that thinking and harness our experiences and our resources to find companies who are focused on that mission, who are focused on that continuous innovation, who are focused on that community, and work with them to, to fuel and define the, the future of the sector. 
you know, a lot of what kept you in the industry are the same things that have kept me in the industry for 20 plus years. And I remember at stake, they had such a tremendous reputation. So you have this like really highly valuable and valid industry experience that I'm hoping we can really dig into today. As we think about the market today and think about it more broadly, an awful lot's changed in the past 20 years and an awful lot's changed even more so in the last year. There's a lot of economic turmoil, there's geopolitical turmoil. What do you think are the macro trends that are tracking across specifically the cybersecurity industry? You're right. A lot has changed over the last year, and I could could probably drain a whole kettle of tea with you on this question alone. But uh, as you mentioned, the economic climate has companies looking at efficiency and spend in, in really creative ways. But I think a lot of leaders have an appreciation for the importance of investing in cyber uh, in, in a whole new regard. Let me just break that down with, with a few key observations. The first one is if we take that, that macro view you, you mentioned and pull back for a second, damages from cyber attacks have grown to trillions of dollars. And I, and I think one of the reports I recently read said it has a trajectory to be over $10 trillion of annual damages in the next two years. So that's definitely hitting the P&L and the bank accounts of both companies and individuals in a serious way. And staying on that macro view for a second, the total spend in cybersecurity is roughly 150 to $200 billion. So the balance in, of investment still has quite a long way to go before uh, we, we see the, the size of the damages is commensurate the size of investment in protecting. Thing two, the geopolitical environment. It's definitely demonstrated the rise of cyber weapons targeting critical infrastructure, not being behind the curtain, so to speak, but being in the forefront. So the underpinnings of day-to-day life is now being impacted in a serious way. Keeping in mind that many of these cyber attacks don't just stay on target, but start to roam beyond the coordinates that, that, that were given. And then as I think about that economic environment, companies are trying to do more with less by the way of uh, automation, as well as a heavier reliance on integrating with third-party capabilities. And the attackers have followed this move with focusing on pushing uh, the dominoes of the supply chain, starting with a key component in the supply chain ecosystem and cascading to a broader swath of victims. I think finally, the rapid um, digitalization of the world that was quickly accelerated during the pandemic moved the workforce from the office to the home almost overnight, which in and of itself created a large and growing surface area of hybrid environments that needed to be protected. So you put all of this together... And I see that the, the big security awakening that's happened over the last few years turned into a security action with companies focused on gaining visibility across that growing surface area, both on the cloud and on their systems, embracing a new generation of detection and response technology across the network all the way to the IoT and OT fabric, focused on, on the supply chain of ingredients they rely on from the way they build their applications all the way to continuous testing. And I think there's a new appreciation of the investment required to maintain constant cyber vigilance and resilience all under this umbrella of what I'd call uh, modern risk management. I think that's right. And I do think that we're operating in a macro environment that we haven't seen, at least in recent history. And I was talking just just a couple hours ago to somebody about the 
you know, kinetic and cyber war coming together, for example. And when I talk to peers and customers and our partners about the challenges they're facing, I hear some of the, you know, the same concerns related to cyber hygiene and passwords and such. But I also hear about this layering of challenges like new technology, the pace of change, and those emerging threats I was just mentioning that aren't truly well understood. I'm curious what you're hearing and what some of the most pressing security challenges you're hearing from founders and from other enterprise security leaders you speak with. Oh, I'm definitely hearing some of the same things you are with that with that focus on the foundational elements of of cyber hygiene. But I'm also hearing a, a whole host of new challenges that are that are top of mind with folks. On the pace of technology fast that you just mentioned, one thing that keeps coming up is the the surface area expansion we just spoke about, specifically with IoT devices. Many of these devices, as you know, um, are the least secure part of the network. And, and they don't have the compute power to necessarily protect themselves. But the volume of these devices is growing at a fast pace. So it poses a challenge for orgs who are now starting to respond by applying zero trust, uh, a zero trust approach almost to, to IoT as part of their cyber defense strategy. But I'd also take a step back to emphasize something else, which is the trust part of cyber. You know, you and I have been in this space for a long time. And, and if we look uh, over the years, we've, we've seen that people are naturally trusting and attackers prey on that human characteristic with all sorts of social engineering attacks. And, and one of the most common attacks in this category has obviously been phishing and it continues to grow and be top of list for many companies. But as we just spoke about, there are broader challenges that focus on the trust element. And I, I was actually speaking with some folks at a forum just, just the other day where some new research was being presented on the threat landscape. And one element that stood out uh, for me that, that I hadn't heard before or seen before was that greater than 40% of cyber threats are now occurring through the supply chain. Now, some of this is taking form in the application development process where developers, as you know, have, have been challenged with faster release cycles and are relying more heavily on common shared application libraries and modules. So attackers have naturally implant, implanted nefarious code into those ecosystems to Trojan in. But other supply chain attacks are focusing on penetrating the security of a large company by attacking their small trusted partners and using them to remora back into the larger target of choice. And so these supply chain category uh, attacks are definitely front and center with application development and third-party risk management, as well as regulations coming out to put the responsibility of understanding um, on the companies in charge, you know, software, bill of materials and thing of, things of that effect. But another pretty amazing thing to think about, as you, as you mentioned, the trends here, is how two little letters are changing the world so quickly. AI. You highlighted the pace of change in, in the question. And this is an area of technology that's just rapidly evolving with, with generative AI, the ability to create content, interpret information, and, and scale so quickly. So from a security lens, companies are trying to understand the benefits uh, this, this poses for their cyber defense posture with the ability to collect, analyze, identify risk faster, but also how this category may be a tool used by organized crime and nation states for, for malicious purposes. And I think that the last big trend, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention quantum on the horizon. So the power and promise of quantum is, is something that definitely can help society in immense ways with the ability to accelerate the time to compute. 
But as we've uh, discussed over the years, with all new tech being used for positive, there's also the malicious use of that tech. And with recent publications from various organizations in the NSA most recently, there's a looming expiration date on things like cryptography with, uh, with quantum coming into the forefront. So as this topic has, has come into the fold, some of the conversations I've heard recently from, from executives of, of different enterprises is, what do I do to prepare? How entrenched are these crypto algorithms that could potentially be broken by quantum? Where are they? How do I replace them? And, and so this nature of, of questioning is, is one that I think is, is healthy because going back to that modern view of risk management, if you take everything I said and boil it down, you, what, you're, what you're hearing is folks are asking, how do I measure and keep control of the risks I know? Like you said, cyber hygiene. How do I manage the risks I'm inheriting from other technologies or connections, supply chain, application security, and the like? And then now, how do I plan for the risks that are on the horizon with things like AI and quantum? I think those are all really important. And I do think that, you know, we have to be, uh, I'm going to unpack AI for one second, right? We have to be equally enthusiastic about the capabilities that AI is going to enhance for us in cybersecurity, particularly things around SOC fatigue and alert fatigue. But we have to be equally concerned about both the bad actors using AI to advance their campaigns, but also how we're going to secure the AI models. And equally importantly, the data. Make sure that there isn't any data poisoning or data that comes into the model that's not real data because that will change the outcome materially. And I would expect that to be a significant attack vector. And of course, quantum. You know, we've, we've talked about quantum. I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, Samir. We have, we have our hands around it because it's going to be probably still a few years before there's mainstream quantum capability. And we really do have time to get ahead of the protections. But understanding those legacy you know, things like the RSA Be Safe Toolkit, which I'm very familiar with, are in millions of pieces of software globally. So we really do have to take all of this seriously as we think about what the challenges are going to look like in the future. Thank you always for, you know, being a leadership and highlighting those things. So I know you've spent a lot of time and energy focused on consumer cybersecurity, which is a topic we haven't unpacked much on Afternoon Cyber Tea. I think there's enough challenges for those in the industry who actually know the ins and outs of security. But when I think about my my husband and my daughter, um, I'll tell you something funny. My husband was talking about a podcast he listens to. I said, you never listen to Afternoon Cyber Tea. And he said, because I don't (laughs) understand it. (laughs) <laughs> so that just gives you an idea, right? I can't, I, I, I'm challenged to educate my own consumer household. So think about how challenging it is for folks that don't actually have a cyber practitioner at the ready, right? I'd love your perspective on how consumer cyber has evolved over the years, what we're doing to make it easier, where it needs to go in the future. Are companies doing enough to protect their consumers? And I'll give you an example. I had an attempted intrusion on my home network. I don't know if it was truly nefarious or not, but my I'll give a plug. My Orbi device detected it and blocked it, right? Blocked an IP address it didn't know. So are companies doing enough to protect consumer environments? And do we need a paradigm shift in consumer cyber? Oh, what a great question. Consumer security is definitely different. So as you rightly pointed out, most of us signed up to be part of the cyber community. 
However, consumers woke up one day and, and realized they had to be the CISO of their household. And looking at this evolution, I think it started when way back in, in the day when there were viruses and then there was antiviruses. And as we fast forward through the ages, the digital footprint of a household expanded, as, as you just pointed out, to include so many other things that would be under the umbrella of cyber safety, right? You got things like device protection from mobile to PC to IoT. And if I just counted how many things in my house alone had an IP address, it's probably equivalent to a data center somewhere. And, and it also includes things like identity protection and anti-fraud solutions. As organized crime is focused on pilfering identities for monetary gain, being able to identify the misuse of your own identity and restoring your identity has been a challenge for, for consumers at, at large. And I think the other, other two big areas are privacy. This includes where consumers' behaviors, their information, or what I like to call their digital exhaust, should not be available to others to monetize or lift without consent. And that's a big and growing concern area. But also includes the home, where everything, as we just talked about, is online in some form or, or fashion. And so if, if I put all of those things together, I think Consumer risks have evolved from just security to this digital safety, which includes the identity, privacy, and home. But in terms of the future, I think there's a lot yet to be done with consumer security. First, there's an opportunity to simplify the solutions because much like yourself, I found I am IT support and CISO for not just my house, but my friends and families. And, and quite honestly, it's because many folks are, are very tech savvy in, in using their technology, but to protect it and make it safe is a whole nother degree of, of knowledge and capability. So I think there's an opportunity to simplify. Thing two is, I think there's an opportunity to protect both folks early and late in life. And, and what I mean by that is when I talk to, to my sons and, and whatnot, and you know, at the age of 10, the average kid uh, has a cell phone in the US. And so that's a new online user. How do we give them a seatbelt and a helmet that they need to ride the internet safely? I don't think that's been done fully yet. And there's an ability to help, uh, and maybe AI has a key role in this, but there's an ability to help help both the youth as well as the elderly as it relates to, to cyber safety. Because unfortunately, a lot of the attack actors are, are preying on, on those two demographics specifically because they're very trusting. And the third thing I'd say is a lot has been done by elevating user privacy and, and putting in the forefront, especially with, with policy and and regulation, but I think there's still an opportunity to reinforce with controls and, and accountability. And I think that area is going to evolve quite a bit and, and needs to. But, you know, as I look at the horizon, and I think... Um, I think there's some other elevating concerns. You know, there's this counterfeit reality emerging with deep fakes, with misinformation, with things that look authentic. And as consumers interact with this new horizon of things they watch, things they read, things they see, they don't necessarily know if it's authentic and, and valid. And so, I, I do think there's an opportunity out there as we look at the evolution, we move from AV to safety to a whole gamut of capabilities. But I think the next horizon is one of making sure that we're able to provide consumers with not only that simplicity, but an ability to understand what is counterfeit and what is real. 
I think when we're talking about consumers, we need to focus them, right? You can't ask consumers to understand everything. Understand that passwords are inherently insecure, so use some type of you know multi-factor authentication, right? Understand that you shouldn't be sharing passwords or repeating your passwords across the internet. You know, I think if we set a baseline and don't ask them to understand everything, like my my daughter literally um, gave me my daughter's a digital native, by the way, but she literally gave me her phone and said, "Can you set up you know the strong offense?" authentication on my Snapchat or Instagram or what, you know, all of her social media, right? She said, because I just, you know, it'll be faster for you. And I was like, I'm good with that, right? She recognized that she needed it. And I thought that was the most important thing. And I think that consumer education without using big, scary words is the most important thing we could do. Absolutely. So despite all the challenges we face, I'm always optimistic, right, about the future of cyber. It's why I get up every day. And I think you probably are too. I would love to hear what you're seeing that's exciting from a tech perspective. You see a lot of early and young things. And are there emerging techs that you think are really going to be game-changing? Yeah, so my optimism actually starts from a different place. You know, although the headlines grab a lot of the attention about things that gone awry, I think both you and I have, have a privilege of hearing stories from companies and practitioners about all the attacks that they have stopped and the volume and the sophistication of of the attacks that have been detected or responded or prevented i i you know just taking a slice out of time i hear more stories now than i ever had about things that have been prevented so that's that's something that gives me a lot of optimism. The other thing that, that, that gives me a lot of optimism is how many students are focused on cyber. And I know there's a shortage of talent in the domain that, that we've all been trying to, to fuel to, to address. But as I go through different universities and education institutes, there's a lot of interest in cyber. And I hope that continues because it's just raising the collective IQ. But then as I, as I look at, at companies in cyber, you can see that innovation is alive and thriving in cyber. As many organizations are investing their, not only their passion, but their resources in, in new ways to do defense and, and, and safety. And on the tech side, I'll go back to the AI comment you mentioned a little while ago. It seems to be the key area that I see as a game changer where so many different solutions from network to application to operations to SOC to identity to privacy are all leveraging AI in very innovative and effective manners. And I can see how this new category of technology embedded in in cyber can not only prove threat detection and increase efficacy of cyber, but it's also giving birth to new models and new types of, of cyber defense technologies. We've got an opportunity to, to look at a whole host of, of companies that are harnessing this type of capability in, in new and exciting ways. And the thing that, that starts to, to rise to the top is how one person now can do the job of multiple people with AI. And what that means is the pace of innovation in cyber has started to accelerate. And that's what's really getting me excited about the space. I think that's all right. I love the pace of innovation. And I love being in in the cyber industry as a whole because you, you have that innovation, that need for innovation. Let's change course a little. The RSA conference is coming up soon. And I know everyone's gearing up for a really, really busy week. The theme this year is stronger, 
together, which is just this amazing theme, especially right now. So I've long said that cyber is a team sport and we all need to work together for a safer and more secure future. Why do you think it's so important that we are elevating Stronger Together this year in particular? Well said. Cybersecurity is a is a team sport. And I've been going to this conference for many years, as you have as well. And it's bounced back even stronger than ever following the pandemic. Um, so the, the RSA conference is another reason I'm optimistic, to be honest with you, about the industry, because we're seeing the community come together to solve bigger problems in a more robust manner than ever before. And, and for full disclosure, Crosspoint Capital acquired a significant interest in the RSA conference, so I, I have even more of a heightened uh, sort of approach to it. But like you said, the the innovation is healthy and thriving, but when people have come together in any facet of, of industry or, or life, they're able to collaborate and, and breakthroughs happen. And so that's where I think that this theme of Stronger Together is more appropriate now than ever before because there's so many challenges on the horizon, but there's also that equal enthusiasm of how can we now collaborate? How do we share more? And, and you haven't seen that type of openness in, this, in our community in, in a long time where people are willing to share their experiences, share their knowledge, share their, share their talent, and, and bring it all together for the community to, to sort of all boats rise type, type approach. That said, one of my favorite things at, at RSA is this innovation sandbox. I know if you've attended in the past where the top 10 finalists have three minutes to pitch like some groundbreaking cyber technology to a panel and, and as well as the whole RSA conference and they get... You know, you get a peek into the future. And a lot of what we're seeing in, in terms of submissions and in terms of interest um, at the conference is how we can harness that collaborative uh, nature of the community to, to better the space at large. And so you're seeing things like risk management and governments. You're seeing things like the human element of cybersecurity. You're seeing things like cyber resilience. These are topics that take a village, not just an individual. And, and so not only is it a theme for the conference, I think it's also found its way into the subjects that everyone wants, wants to participate with. I agree. And RSA, this will be, my, I don't know, I'm 20 some odd years going. Um, I've, I've <laughs> lost track. It's just such a great week because you network, you connect, you, you feel that really big sense of community when you're out there, no matter what the topic is. So we're, uh, we're coming up a time. I have a couple more questions. I know that you always have a ton going on. I know you're incredibly busy. Can you share a bit with our listeners about what you're working on right now? I think it's quite simple. I'm working on all the topics we've discussed so far. I, I have the privilege of partnering with, uh, with companies that are dedicated to helping enterprises, small businesses, consumers, and governments address a whole host of challenges that we spoke about today while em embracing that innovation. So as you can imagine, no two days are the same, which makes me a constant student and, uh, and a constant guide for companies that, that have a common thread that ties to cyber. And so my job is to help share operational experience, sector knowledge, and investment resources to help all these great companies, you know, achieve their maximum potential in, in, in cyber. That's fantastic. And as we think about then, you know, cyber and we think about all of the incredible insights that you shared, I, as we talk about, I always want to have optimism and a couple takeaways. So what do you think is important for our listeners to know right now why you are optimistic about the future of cybersecurity? 
Oh, well, the industry is thriving. The pace of evolution is fast. And those with a passion to join the community are more than welcome. And I'm energized by spending time with cybersecurity leaders like yourself who are driving these meaningful conversations that translate into actions that set the stage for the future. So thank you, Anne, for doing this series because it's an amazing platform to bring awareness to the community and, and also for being a catalyst for, for innovation and focus. And I love the questions you raised uh, and the opportunity to join you on, on this podcast. And the spirit of community, if anyone listening would like to share any thoughts, ideas, questions, just pop a note. I'd love to hear from everyone. Samir, thank you for being a leader in the community. Thank you for always being positive and optimistic. And thank you for taking the time to join me today on Afternoon Cyber Tea. Cheers. Thanks for having me. And many thanks to our listeners. Join us next time on Afternoon Cyber Tea. I invited Samir Kapuria to join me on Afternoon Cyber Tea because he has such a great vision for the industry and he has this incredible base of knowledge. He's worked in consumer security for quite a while, which is an area that we haven't touched much on Afternoon Cyber Tea. And it's so incredibly important. He also, of course, Crosspoint Capital has acquired a majority stake in the RSA conference. So it was great to hear his perspective on the upcoming conference in April also. Wonderful episode and I'm sure everyone will enjoy it. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.